Well, I can tell you, I can remember with great clarity the day that uh, I stepped onto the scale at BioLife Plasma Services, one of these plasma collection centers. Uh, we, I was going there a couple times a week to, uh, to get what I called my blood money, <laughs> uh, to get a little pocket money. We were pregnant with our first child, and that's when I started going. And, and I remember stepping onto the scale and reading the scale, and it said 254 pounds. And I had made a pact with myself at the time that I would never weigh more than 250 pounds. And so I took everything out of my pockets, and I took my shoes off, and I, I said, wait, 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 don't write that down yet. And I got back on, and it, and it said 251 pounds. And the look of terror in the lady's eyes, like, is he going to take his clothes off next, you know? Uh, how important is it that he not be over 250 pounds? And, and I don't know where I got that number or, or where it stuck with me. I had been noticing the drift uh, towards that number uh, through the fall of that previous year. It's about 12 and a half years ago. We were pregnant with our first child, as I mentioned. Um, and, you know, I always kind of consoled myself, well, you know, I've, I'm fully dressed, and, and it hadn't, I hadn't seen the number yet, 250 pounds. And then Keaton had surgery at six weeks old, and that was right before the Christmas holiday, and we went through all that, and I got back in, and it was in January of that year, 12 and a half years ago. And uh, I had gained 40 pounds during our first pregnancy. I gained almost as much weight as Heather did. Uh, <laughs> And it really kind of surprised me. I, I was one of these guys that was wearing the same size jeans I'd worn in high school. I had not gained a lot of weight in college or any of those types of things. Hadn't uh, had much trouble uh, with weight, but I had gotten into some really bad habits. I was eating very poorly. I was not exercising at all. Uh, you, I was in what you might call a fitness protection program. I, I was avoiding the gym. I was avoiding uh, any physical activity where I'd always been really active physically. And I got up to about a a 40-inch waist, and uh, I was not sleeping well. I, was, I had a lot of chronic pain. Just all kinds of things were going on. And it was a bit of a wake-up call uh, for me at that time. And uh, wouldn't you know it, that spring I was in a men's Bible study, and we read a book by Henry Cloud titled, Nine Things You Simply Must Do to Succeed in Life and Love. Really long title, <laughs> but a great book. And he walks through nine different things that he noticed as a lifetime of uh, being a Christian counselor and a Christian leader and talking with successful people and recognizing certain traits that they had. And one of the things, one of the nine things, was what he called play the movie. And it's this idea that wherever you are, say, in light of my, my current circumstances, in the light of the trajectory of my life, what does the movie look like from this point forward? Play the movie. And in that title, or that chapter with that title, he told the story of a man who had come to him who was uh, severely obese and who was struggling in many different ways uh, with the physical health and, and challenged him to play the movie to the point that, that challenged him to write out letters, write a letter to his wife, who was probably going to be a widow long before she should, write a letter to his children who would not have a father uh, for many of the important events of their life, and write a letter to the grandchildren that he might never meet if things didn't change. And it was a wake-up call for him, and it was a wake-up call for me. And uh, it, it set me onto a new trajectory. Uh, as many of you might imagine, it was sort of fits and starts. It was, I would begin what I would call an on-again, off-again relationship with, with physical health until about four years ago when it just became a spiritual 
thing for me. It stopped being something that I kind of rolled up my sleeves and, and gritted through with some willpower and became something that became a spiritual issue. So I want to talk to you today about, uh, about thriving physically. We have been in a series titled Made to Thrive for a couple of weeks now. I've gotten good feedback. People have said this has been insightful. Some people have said this has been challenging. Uh, this one may be a little more challenging than insightful. Um, in fact, it, you know, it may not end up being your favorite message uh, that I've ever preached or might your favorite message of this series. But I, I don't want to walk away from uh, an issue that I think the church struggles with a little bit. Um, I think that, that gluttony has sort of become the ignored or the forgotten uh, sin. And many in the ministry, many in churches, um, obviously struggle in their relationship with food and with physical health and with the stewardship of their bodies. And yet um, it kind of gets ignored. And um, I want to talk about that today as a spiritual issue. And I want to remind you, that this platform, this sanctuary, this pulpit is a guilt-free zone. I don't ever intend to bring guilt and condemnation. We have an enemy who trades in those things, and he wants to bring those things, but that is not at all my heart or my intention. Uh, Rather, would like to cast a vision from God's Word for what our lives might be like. Many of you don't struggle with this. Some of us do struggle with this. I have personally struggled with this for much of my life and gone back and forth, so I come at it from a a place of compassion. Um, But I'm also praying that, that God's Spirit would bring conviction where conviction is needed. And that we would not uh, recoil so far from the condemnation that the enemy wants to bring that we do not receive the conviction that the Spirit wants to bring. Because if we talk about thriving, if we talk about this idea that we were made to thrive, not just to simply survive, not just to get by, not just to barely make it, but to really thrive. If we really believe that and believe that that was God's intent and we go back to to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and everything was perfect and everything was good and everything was thriving, that was the original intent. That was the purpose behind creation was that everything would thrive. And then sin entered the mix. And from that point forward, things have not always worked the way that they were supposed to or they were intended to. But we were made to thrive. And we as believers, as the body of Christ, thrive most when we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God. When we see what the Word has to say to us and has to say about us and how we live our lives and we choose to respond to conviction... Uh, that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. That is how we thrive, whether that's relationally or financially, whether that's physically or spiritually or emotionally and mentally. We thrive when we respond in faith to the Spirit's conviction. So to catch you up, since I know it's summertime and people are going a, a million different directions, it's like we got a new church every week. And, you know, there's the 50% that are here almost every week, but the, that other 50% are gone and here and there and back and forth. So week one, we talked about thriving spiritually. We talked about this idea that the order of these matters and that if you're not thriving spiritually, you're going to have a hard time thriving mentally or physically or emotionally or, or financially or any other area. That that relationship with God, that spiritual connection with with him and the idea of lordship that Jesus Christ is either lord of all or he isn't lord at all that was how we launched this series off and I just want to remind you of that if you missed that you can go to our podcast on our website linwoodchurch.org hit the media tab 
catch up on these messages because we built upon that last week we talked about thriving mentally thriving with our mind our will and our emotions uh, thriving with the decision center and and the the part of us that makes decisions the part of us that feels and the part of us that uh, gets input from the world around us and from the spirit of god and how we thrive emotionally and how we can send our our thoughts in the right direction that we can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And the bottom line last week was the more often you think what you should think, the more likely you will do what you should do. So we've covered the spiritual side of things. We've covered the mental or emotional or thought life side of things. Now we're going to move into the, the physical body, the physical side of things, and talk about thriving physically. Now obviously thriving physically is not just about weight management. That was the personal connection that it had for me. But this takes on a number of different uh, avenues in our lives or a number of different connection points in our lives. And, and you can actually be in a healthy weight and not a, be a healthy person and not be thriving physically. So there are a lot of ways that this plays itself out. But ultimately, thriving physically is a matter of lordship. It's a matter of lordship. Who is lord of your body? Is it you or is it Christ? And if it is Christ, then we are but stewards of this body that he has given us in order to uh, to make it through this life. And so the question at the beginning would be, what does your current level of physical health or physical fitness say about the lordship of your physical body? Are you thriving physically? And I, I understand that there are hereditary diseases. I understand that there are things that come to us that are out of our control. But I want to talk today about the elements of our physical uh, health, our physical fitness that are in our control and the things that we can do. We're not asked to control things that are out of the sphere of our influence, but we are asked to be good stewards of the health that God has given us. And the question would be, who is Lord of your body, and how are you stewarding your health? As I mentioned before, poor physical stewardship is one of the more obvious uh, things that you, you can have secret sins. You can have sins that you struggle with behind closed doors that nobody ever knows about. Um, eventually, they seem to always come to light. But physical, poor physical stewardship is one that's harder to hide. It's one that, that often manifests itself in ways that people can see. And so when we think about this and we think about what for, poor physical stewardship does, um, it, it can impact our witness. It can impact uh, our credibility with people as we try to share our faith. Faith it can it can be something that keeps us from sharing our faith. Um, so we can we can have an impact on our witness. But even beyond that, uh, poor physical stewardship can impact our ability to serve God, or impact our ability to to witness for others, to serve others, to uh, go places and do things, to have the energy that we need in order to do the things that God would call us to do, and and respond in faith to the opportunities that He presents us to serve him and to reach out and to be a blessing to other people. So there's a number of different ways. Plus, it can have a huge financial impact on our lives. Uh, poor physical health can, can have a big financial impact. So there's a lot of things that are interconnected uh, with this. And uh, a thought that I, I wish I could give you the, the citation, I, I saw this on Facebook, actually, and it just lodged in my mind. It's like, there's really a lot to that. This next idea that you can choose to make your wellness a priority now, or you can be forced to make your illness a priority later. And that's just a true truth. That's one of those things. And it's, it's kind of presented in the context of a physical 
physical wellness and physical illness, but I think it also applies spiritually, mentally, relationally, financially. You can choose to make your financial wellness a priority now, or you could be forced to make your financial illness a priority later. You can choose to make your relational wellness, your relational health a priority now. You can choose to do that, or you can be forced to later. How many marriages, how many, how many couples have sat down in my office where they kind of put their marriage on autopilot? They got busy with kids, or they got busy with careers, or they got busy with other things. They didn't make their marriage a priority. They chose not to make their marriage a priority then, and they were forced to make their relational illness a priority later. Same thing happens with parents and kids. And, and so we see this happening over and over. And, and my hope through this Made to Thrive series is that we would choose to make wellness a priority now rather than being forced to make illness a priority later. So I want to start in Psalm 24, verse 1. This is sort of setting a foundation. Uh, you might think, Psalm 24, what's that one about? That seems like an odd place to start talking about physical physical health and physical thriving. This is on page 862 if you have one of our hardcover blue Bibles in in one of the seat bottoms in front of you. Uh, But here's what Psalm 24 verse 1 says. It says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So what Psalm 24 is establishing in very clear language, this is not ambiguous at all, is that this, this whole earth, the whole cosmos, the whole physical creation belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he doesn't stop there just, you know, because we humans, we, we struggle with this humanism thing. We struggle when we think we're the exception to the rule. And so just in case we think there might be a little asterisk on that, that, that we would be the exception, he clarifies in the second half of the verse that it's not just the earth, it's not just the stuff, it's also the people. He says, the world and all who live in it. If you live in this world... If you live on planet Earth, you belong to God. Your physical body belongs to God. You belong to Him as your spirit belongs to God. You belong to Him as your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. It all belongs to God. It's basically saying it's all His. It's all His. You belong to God, all of you. And Jesus touches on this in Mark chapter 12 and in other Gospels when he talks about, uh, about the great commandment, the greatest commandment. He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He's saying, you are not yours. You're his. And the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord. You would sacrifice for the Lord. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's not a new idea. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of the great commandments of the Old Testament, one that had been, uh, had been recited over and over and over among the people of God for centuries, for, for about 3,400 years before he comes onto the scene and calls this out as the greatest commandment, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And I think it's that strength 
that we point to today, that strength that we hold up today as we think about physical stewardship. Your strength is your physical ability to serve God, your physical ability to respond, to go where he says to go, to do what he says to do, to be engaged in the things that he says to be engaged in. And so we love the Lord our God with our strength by stewarding our bodies as well as we possibly can, by putting good things in, by exercising, by doing all of these things. And there's a New Testament parallel, I believe, in the letters of Paul found in Romans chapter 12. I've referenced this verse a number of different times, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul has just laid out a theological treatise in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. He's spoken directly to the, to the New Testament church. He's spoken directly to his his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he has laid out systematically who God is and what Jesus Christ means to the grand scheme of things with God. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore, therefore, and I know I've said this before and I'll definitely say it again, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you should ask yourself, what is the therefore Therefore, what is, what is the therefore building upon? And in this case, it's the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, one uh, body of literature that, that most ancient scholars, scholars of ancient literature would point to and say this is one of the most airtight documents, one of the most concise and powerful cases to be made in all of, old, all of ancient literature, that Paul's manifesto in the book of Romans is without parallel. And he's following that with a therefore. He's following that with a therefore. And the therefore says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So he's, he's encouraging us to do something with our bodies, with our physical bodies. He's telling us to offer our physical bodies as a living sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament system, all the sacrifices were dying or dead sacrifices. They were sacrifices where they were brought to the altar and they were slaughtered and they were killed on the altar as an atonement for sin. Now he's saying Christ has been our atonement. Christ has made atonement for our sin. Now we get to offer our bodies not as dying sacrifices, but as living sacrifices. And he qualifies what kind of living sacrifices we ought to be as we present our bodies as living sacrifices. He said they should be holy They should be holy and pleasing to God. So these are living sacrifices, holy sacrifices, not dying and unholy sacrifices, but living and holy sacrifices. That's what our bodies ought to be to God. Every day we wake up and we choose anew and afresh to put Jesus on the throne of our lives, to surrender our will to him, mind, will, and emotions entirely to him, and to follow him and to choose to do things his way instead of doing things our way or the world's way. I was so impressed at our camp this last week with our uh, elementary camp. Uh, I was impressed with the spiritual fervor that was there, and I was impressed with the way that the, the gospel presentation was made. And they just followed that simple ABC that you admit that you need a Savior, that you believe that Jesus Christ is that provision from God to be our Savior, and you put your trust and your faith in Him. And the C is that you choose, but not just once, not just at camp. And they emphasize this so powerfully that we choose every single day. 
We choose every single day to put Jesus on the throne of our lives, to put Jesus in control and to do things his way. And I had some great conversations with my third, fourth, and fifth graders that were in my cabin and and talking about this idea that every choice we make is either bringing us closer to God or bringing us farther away from God. And that if I was your friend and I called you every day, and and most days you just ignored the phone call, sent me to voicemail, would that be bringing us closer in our relationship or farther away? And how we have these opportunities every single day to put Jesus on the throne of our lives and to respond in faith to his word, to spend time with him, to spend time in prayer, to do the things that he said to do instead of doing the things that he said not to do. And that's how we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We don't want to present a a body that is unholy or unpleasing to God. We don't want to be doing things off the clock, so to speak, that make our bodies unholy or unpleasing to God because there really is no off the clock. If Jesus is Lord, of all, then you don't clock out. You don't clock out. You stay on the clock, and every day you sign back up. Every day you choose once again. This is our spiritual act of worship, and that's why I can say that thriving physically is a spiritual issue. Thriving physically is a spiritual issue, and this is when it really got real for me. This is when my physical health became something that was no longer an on-again, off-again. It was about four years ago. I I was in pretty poor health. We had transitioned uh, into West Virginia, and I had discovered the miracle of Chick-fil-A. And uh, I had a Chick-fil-A that was two miles from my church. It was two right turns on the way home. So I could get on, get get my waffle fries, get my ice dream cones. They don't even call it ice cream at Chick-fil-A. They call it ice dream because it is the best fast food ice cream cone in the world. I was, I was, I'm not kidding. I was having two or three a day some days. And there were some things going on in, in my life that were not good. There were some things going on in my heart that were not good. And I let, I let that become an escape for me. I let that become, I, I can say that I was addicted to Chick-fil-A. And I know it's Christian chicken. It's Christian ice cream. You can't, it can't be wrong, right? It has to be good. It's, it's, it's anointed. It's sanctified. They're closed on Sundays. Like, how could that be a bad thing? And yet it was. And, and my weight was climbing again. And I was, I was losing energy. And I was not sleeping well. And I was struggling. And I had stomach issues again. And God got a hold of my heart. And he said, this is no longer a physical issue. This is no longer a do more, try harder issue. This is a stewardship issue. This is a lordship issue. And I'm either lord or I'm not. And right now, I'm not. And I had to respond in faith to that. And I had to put some parameters around that, around how many ice cream cones I could have in a a given week and and what was good and what was too much. And I I couldn't walk out my front door and run for more than three minutes, but I did. I walked out, I ran for three minutes, I walked until I could run again, and then I ran until I couldn't, and I walked until I couldn't. And I just kept doing that. Next thing you know, I was running eight, ten miles at a time. I was losing weight. I was feeling better. I was sleeping better. Everything was getting better because it was a spiritual issue. And I found that I could put a sermon in my headphones while I was running, and I could listen to other pastors. That was another thing that I had stopped doing. All my life, I had been listening to someone preach and getting that filled up every week, but I had stopped. I'd gotten out of that. I was now preaching, so I was I was studying, and I was presenting the gospel and I was doing all those things but I wasn't getting anything coming in 
And so it became a, a spiritual high for me to go for a run, to listen to a couple of sermons, to listen to a Christian leadership podcast, to listen to God's word. Just listen to that. People say, how can you run without music? And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is where I get filled up. And it became a spiritual thing for me because our physical fitness and thriving physically is a spiritual issue. And so I want to talk about some of the obstacles to that. I want to talk about some of the obstacles that I have personally encountered with that. Uh, Three of them, I think, are included in the seven deadly sins for a reason that have to do with our physical health. And so there are some obstacles because we live in the world, because our bodies have appetites, we are susceptible to sin coming through our bodies and through our fleshly appetites. And so there's things like gluttony, sloth, and lust. These are three of the seven deadly sins. We don't use gluttony, sloth, and lust all that much. So some parallels in a more modern vernacular or a more common language would be gluttony is overconsumption. It's, just, it's taking too much, whatever it is. We think of it mostly with food, but it can take, uh, take place in, uh, in other forms. Um, our, our sloth would be laziness, and lust is, is promiscuity or or immorality in some way. Interestingly enough, there were seven heavenly virtues too. You don't hear as much about the seven heavenly virtues as you hear about the seven deadly sins. I should tell you something about our sin nature. But there are seven heavenly virtues and they come contrast each of the seven deadly sins. So for, for overindulgence or gluttony, there is this idea of temperance or moderation, that, that you don't have to overindulge, that you can eat enough to survive without eating too much. And where there's sloth, there's uh, contrasted by, by diligence or industriousness, that we don't just sit idly, but that we are diligent and we are industrious for the Lord. And against, uh, against this idea of lust, there is chastity or purity. So each of the seven deadly sins has a heavenly virtue. And we can pursue those heavenly virtues. And so when we talk about gluttony or overconsumption, we're, we're dealing with these appetites. And one of the problems with the appetites that we have, the fleshly appetites that we have, is that they never really seem to be fully and finally satisfied. Like at the end of the ice cream cone, you kind of want another ice cream cone right? Uh, the, the appetites. You think about people that get a tattoo. I've never met anybody that has one tattoo. Everybody that gets a tattoo, what do they get? They get a second tattoo, don't they? You know, and they're talking about their next tattoo. Or, or you see this in a number of different ways. And, and enough is only enough that time. And next time it takes a little bit more to have enough. You ever find that to be the case with our fleshly appetites? And so we tend to over-consume even to the point that we can become addicted. We can become addicted to food. You know, food tastes really good in America. Like, if you're not enjoying the food that you're eating, you're doing it wrong because there is really good, tasty food available to us 24-7. They'll even bring it to your door now. Like, that's the thing. It's all about delivery. And, if, and you can call the DoorDash or the food guys, and they'll pick it up from the restaurant and bring it to you. Talk about combining gluttony and sloth, right? You don't even have to get off your couch to go get a meal anymore. You don't have to cook for yourself or anything else. But I tell you what, when I was on a mission trip in Peru and we had mutton stew for three straight days, three meals a day, it was easy to stop eating. That stuff tasted terrible. I mean, it was awful. They used the whole mutton, okay? So, like, it was all involved. And it was hard to finish it. You didn't want to be rude, but at the end, I mean, at the end of the meal, you were glad that was over. That's not the case in America. It's really easy to get addicted to food. It's really easy to get addicted to the way that certain foods make us feel. Sugar, they have done research. The impact of sugar on your brain 
It's greater than cocaine. It's greater than a lot of the drugs that, that are illegal drugs. You can become addicted to sugar quicker than most other things. It's fascinating how, how our bodies respond to these things. And I think that's one of the reasons that the spiritual discipline of fasting can be so powerful. Just the, the idea of skipping a meal or fasting for a day and allowing your physical hunger to produce a spiritual hunger within you. We, uh, as a church, uh, once did a, a week of rice and beans to kind of identify with the other half of the world that is on a subsistence diet of a cup of rice and beans a day. And so we kind of stretched it to a cup per meal. And we did that for five days. And I remember I was so sick of rice and beans at the end of that that the last day I didn't even eat. I just, I was like, I'd rather go hungry than have rice and beans one more day. I had bean breath. It was terrible. But that's how like three and a half billion people are living. Just can't wait for that next cup of rice and beans. And, and we have so much here that we really have to be careful that we don't become addicted, that we don't become enslaved to the food around us. So that's gluttony. Sloth. Sloth is this idea of laziness. It's interesting. You see it over and over and over in Proverbs. That, that laziness, that just nothing good is ever said about laziness or sloth. That we are meant to be industrious. That we are meant to serve God. Paul talks about it as well. Jesus talks about the parable of the servants and the wicked and lazy servant who does nothing, who just buries the gift that they had been given. Your body, your, your energy, your strength is a gift that God has given you. And there's nothing good to say about sloth. It saps our energy, it saps our strength, it leads to sloth, or it leads to poverty. Uh, it has all kinds of negative impacts. There's nothing good to be said about laziness. And finally, lust or, or promiscuity. I want to spend a little time on each one of these uh, because Scripture has a lot to say about these. And I want to make it clear, you cannot thrive spiritually and be sexually immoral. It just can't happen. That sexual immorality impacts us at a very deep level. Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to turn over uh, to page 1778 or 1777, we're going to be on those, uh, those two for, for just a moment. But in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Think about that. Your body is a temple. That, that when Solomon built the temple... Uh, that was where they thought God would reside. But God is spirit. God is everywhere. And Paul makes it very clear that when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is residing within you. And you take the Holy Spirit in all the little places that you go and all the interactions that you have. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Paul's bringing it back to Psalm 24, verse 1. You are are not your own. You don't belong to you. You belong to him. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, he's speaking specifically about sexual immorality here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but the principle applies in all of these areas. The principle applies in the physical stewardship of our physical bodies. What do we put in? What do we enlist our bodies to do? What do we allow our bodies to do? And he's basically saying, you're not your own. You can't be a holy and pleasing living sacrifice to God if you're sexually immoral. It just can't happen. The two don't work together. We don't belong to ourselves. And, and typically what we do as humans is we say, okay, well, where's the line? Like, what's okay and what's not okay? And I want to get as close to the line as I possibly can, especially teenagers, right? 
Teenagers want to know, okay, where's the line? And how close can I get to the line without touching the line? And he says earlier in this chapter, he says, flee from sexual immorality. If you even get close enough to see the line, run in the other direction. Don't have anything to do with it. And it's this idea of fleeing from sexual immorality, getting as far away from it as we possibly can. Here's the litmus test that I would encourage you to use if you struggle with this at all or if you know somebody who does. Think of a child that you really love, whether it's one of your own children or another person's child, and whatever you're thinking about doing or somebody else is thinking about doing or tempted to do or tempted to look at or to view or participate in, ask yourself, would I want this child that I dearly love to be engaged in that activity? Would I want them to see that? Would I want them to watch that show on HBO? Would I want them to have anything to do with that activity or that environment or that seeing that? And if the answer is no, then You shouldn't either because you're a child of his. You belong to him. You were bought at a price. And so the idea is don't make yourself this line seeker. See how close you can get to the line without crossing over it because you're going to lose your balance and you're going to fall over. Flee from it. Get as far away from it as possible. Get as far away from it as possible. And there's something that Paul says earlier on that kind of wraps all this together. And it's this idea that that even though we are under grace, even though we have been redeemed by Christ, we're no longer under the law. See, the law made it really clear. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. The law showed us where all the lines were. And you were a sinner or a transgressor in the Old Testament if you crossed over the line. And somewhere in the New Testament, we get this idea that, well, we're under grace now. We're not under the law anymore. And so now things are available. Now things are are lawful for us. And Paul says in chapter 6, verse 12, just a few paragraphs before he says everything is permissible for me but not everything's beneficial everything is permissible for me but i will not be mastered by anything so whether it's gluttony or sloth or or lust and promiscuity whatever the thing is or maybe it's all three maybe you kind of check all the boxes you know i've certainly been there in each of the each of those cases at some point in my life i've struggled with one or more or, or all of them at the same time but whatever the case may be just because it's lawful just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. You see, God really wants you to thrive. He really wants you to thrive physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally and financially. He really wants you to thrive. And there are all kinds of things that the world offers to us that are not good for us. There are all kinds of experiences that the world offers to us that are not good for us. There are things like drugs and alcohol that the world makes available to us, and they're permissible but they're not beneficial. I've never heard of a teetotaler at the end of his life saying, gosh, I really wish I'd had a few drinks. You know, I just really missed the boat. I really missed out on a lot of great experiences that I would have had if I'd just had a few drinks. But I've certainly talked to people who who stepped onto that slippery slope and went a lot farther than they thought they were going to end up going. They really wish they could go back. Yeah, it was permissible, but it wasn't going to be beneficial. And so maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's tobacco, maybe it's, maybe it's certain movies that you know certain things are going to be in that movie, and part of you kind of wants to watch it because that thing's going to be in that movie, and part of you is like, eh, maybe I shouldn't. Put some boundaries on those things. It's permissible, but it's not beneficial. It's not, benef- it's not going to build up your relationships. It's not going to make you a holier and more pleasing sacrifice to God. And so I want to I give the Spirit some opportunity to work in this.
Because there is far more freedom inside the will of God as it's presented in his word than you will ever find outside of it. That's our bottom line today. Whatever the thing is or things are, there is far more freedom inside the will of God, inside the word of God, than you will ever find outside the will of God. And Satan tempts us. And Satan says, there's more freedom over there. There's more freedom on the other side. There's more freedom getting as close to the line as you possibly can. But the Spirit says there is far more freedom inside the will of God, as far within the will of God as you can possibly be, than you will ever find outside. All we find outside the will of God is bondage and enslavement. And Paul says in Galatians 5.1, that it is for freedom that you have been set free. Therefore, do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Now he's talking about the law and grace. But the principle is true. Just because it's not against the law anymore doesn't mean we ought to go and do it. That there are things that are not beneficial. They are not good for us. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Don't step onto the slippery slope. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to thrive in every aspect of your being. So the question is, are what you're doing right now, what you're currently doing, is that best for you? Does that give you the best opportunity to serve God with energy and vigor for as long as you possibly can? And what does thriving physically look for, like for you right now? Maybe you're knocking the cover off the ball. Maybe you, maybe you only eat healthy foods and you exercise and you have energy and you have vigor and you're not struggling. How can you come alongside somebody else and encourage them? How can you be a partner to somebody else and encourage them? And if you are struggling in some area, maybe it's food, maybe it's, maybe it's lust or promiscuity, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's laziness. What does thriving spiritually look like for you? What is the Spirit of God whispering to you today and saying, here's an area where you can respond in faith to conviction? I would encourage you to set some goals. I would encourage you to write them down and share them with somebody else. Maybe it's a weight loss goal. Maybe it's an exercise goal. Maybe it's, maybe it's a boundaries goal. Whatever the case may be, don't just kind of shrug it off. Don't kind of, well, Pastor Mark doesn't do this and that. And No. Respond in faith to the conviction if you're hearing it, if you're sensing it. Then get somebody to help you. Get some community. Get a friend. It's a lot easier to get to the gym at 6.30 if you know that your friend is going to be waiting for you there. You don't want to be that guy that texts him at 6.25 and says, I'm not going to make it today. Get a partner. Get some help. Get some support. Get some people around you. Get a system. If it's worth doing, it's worth building a system around it, building a habit. Expect some roadblocks, but press on. You might be saying, oh, it's too far gone. It's too late for me. No, it's not. You've heard the saying, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Was the second best time? Today. When's the best time to make your physical fitness and thriving physically a priority? When's the best time to make your wellness a priority? Well, 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Today. Make today the day. The altars are open. If you want to respond, coming forward, asking for prayer, if you want to pray, and maybe intercede for somebody. Maybe there's somebody that's been on your mind this entire time that I've been talking about this, and you just can't get them off your mind. Maybe you want to come forward and say a prayer for them. You come to the middle two altars, we'll let you pray alone. If you'd like somebody to join you at the altar, put a hand on your shoulder, 
voice a prayer over you or pray specifically for you, come to one of the outside altars. And somebody will meet you there and pray for you. But only this place unchanged. Don't miss an opportunity to respond in faith. If you want to write a prayer on a, a slip of paper there and roll it up and put it in the cross, uh, you can do that as well. There are lots of ways to respond. But I hope that you will respond in faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this day and for this opportunity to hear from your word and for this opportunity that you have given us to respond in faith to your word. Lord, our ability to thrive physically or emotionally or spiritually, relationally or financially, our ability to thrive in this life is contingent upon our ability to respond in faith to your Holy Spirit. So I pray, God, that we would hold nothing back from you in these moments, that we would lean into you, that we would open our hands, letting go of things that we might have carried in here that we were never meant to carry, letting go of things that we have held too dear that have displaced you in our lives. And that we would open our hands to receive what you have for us. That we would raise our hands and surrender and say, Lord, thy will be done. Sit on the throne of my life. Empower your spirit, O oh God, to move through this place and minister to each one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.